I'm pleased to be with you this morning. Um, you should send John out of town more often. Uh, but um, thank you for allowing me to be here this morning. We are recovering in Jacksonville. I don't know how many of you have been there lately. I guess in my lifetime, it's never going to look the same. But what is? But we're recovering right now. We have a new roof being put on our Baptist Student Center. We're in the process of replacing some things that were damaged by the storm. But overall, our building uh, fared fairly well through the storm. Um, Tornadoes went on both sides of us. One went apparently across us. But as far as it goes, we have lots of floor-to-ceiling plate glass windows. Not one of those was broken. We had debris all over our yard. We have um, windows that have been scratched by, I guess, flying shingles and other things. But uh, we we fared well. We are in the process of um, trying to recover ourselves, but we're also planning a collegiate work weekend for the latter part of June and uh, inviting some students from other areas to come in and help some people who are either uninsured or underinsured to start their process of recovering. So um, that's where we are. Um, Everybody do this. Finals are over. (laughs) We have finished a crazy semester at JSU. Early in the semester, we had bad weather that caused us to cancel some things. Then spring break came, and one week turned into three weeks. And now, be honest with yourself. If they said, do you want to take your uh, your grade and not come back to class, how many of you would have taken the grade and run? And we had a lot of students did that after spring break. A lot of the classes went to online only for those who were needing to pull up a grade a little bit or to finish. Um, as I would look out the window, there was really no such thing as a class change anymore. It changed this semester, but praise God, we're finished. We are already in preparation for summer and for looking forward to a fall, but um You be in prayer for us as we get ready to to reach out to the next freshman class that's coming into JSU. This morning as I come to speak to you, uh, know that God has been working in me. Three Sundays from today, I will be preaching at the end of uh, the first of two weekend classes. conferences for university students in Cuba. This will be our third Cuba project, the second year to do conferences for university students there. And as we started making preparation for this year, I started kind of searching myself, what do I need to say to students there? And not because of any reading that I had been doing, but I think it's where God has been working in my life and what I need to share. I came to the topic of holiness. 
Can I give you my disclaimers? By study and the reading I've done even today, I'm not an expert on the topic. Second of all, I would say to you, nor am I an example of the topic. I think God is working in me to teach me something, and as I'm learning, he's called me to pass it on. So will you be my guinea pigs today? As we work? And basically, you're going to have to call, invite me back sometime to get a little bit more of this, because this morning, I want to talk to you about what holiness is not. Okay? I really don't have one text. I'm going to be referring to quite a few different verses, but I guess what I will call my point of departure this morning is in Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes to Timothy and says, So do not be ashamed to testify about about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. By grace we have been saved through faith. That's not from ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're not, we can never do anything to become holy. We are made holy in Jesus. And we pursue holiness because we want to please our Savior. So this morning, I want to go through a little bit of a checklist, maybe. And I don't know which of you I'm talking to this morning on which points. But know that they're all pointing back to me. By the way, I'm indebted to Kevin DeYoung in his book, The Whole and Our Holiness, for some of these categories that I'm going to be referring to this morning. So um, let's, let's just begin by jumping in. Can I say to you that holiness is not rule-keeping? Read a book several years ago. I ordered it online just because of the title. The title was, We Are the Pharisees. And it says basically that for most of us that have grown up in church, who've been a believer for for a long time, we're, as much as we want to uh, point fingers at the Pharisees of the Bible, the author of that book said that we're more comfortable with Pharisees than we are with Jesus. Because Pharisees give us rules. And we like rules to tell us when we're doing right or when we're doing wrong. So, do you remember back in the days when offering envelopes had check boxes on them? Present, Bible brought, Bible read daily, lesson studied, giving, worship attendance. Different ones of those had a little bit different numbers that went with them, but... If you could check every box, you were 100%. I always wanted to be 
Really? Read your Bible every day? So many weeks I might be at 80% or 90%. I forget the, the, the value of that one. But you want to be 100%. And if I can, I could only be a 100% Christian by checking off five boxes, I would be a happy man. It's not that simple. You're not going to be holy merely by keeping the rules. And the word merely is important because Jesus himself said in John 14, 50, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, there are some rules we need to keep because Jesus gives us some. I'm... uh, Grateful to Dr. W.C. Dobbs, one of my religion professors at Mobile College years ago. He said, you want to know the will of God for your life? Read your Bible. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are cut and dry, written down for all you have to do is read them and know what God's will for you is. And he said, maybe when you start doing some of those, God will reveal some of the things that aren't written in black and white or maybe in red and white. There are some things that we need to do, but you're not going to be made holy just by doing things because you can't earn your salvation. There are religions in the world that think, okay, I've done all these bad things, but if I can pile up good things so that that pile's higher than the bad pile, then God might let me into heaven. No, you don't earn your way in. It's not a comparison. Well, I hadn't done anything really bad, so these good things will erase those. It's not sanctification by checklist. Because a checklist doesn't take into account the idols of my heart. The things that I hold back from God. And if it's by checklist, the gospel may not even be a part of the equation there. So, holiness is not rule keeping. Second, holiness is not what I've called generational imitation. That is, my parents... We're members of the church and we're believers. My grandparents, so if I just act like them, I'm going to be okay. I noticed when I drove up this morning, there aren't any hitching posts out front. When I was campus minister at Livingston before I moved to Jacksonville, and also I served as director of missions for that small association for the three years I was there. I went to Old Bellamy Baptist Church in a bend of the Tom Bigby River across the river from Demopolis area. And when I drove up to church that morning, there were three horses tied to the low limb of a tree. Somebody had apparently at a hunting camp or something had come to church and had ridden their horses. You know, there are some religious groups out there that for some reason or another have frozen 
their practices and the way they dress at a certain point in history. So when you go to the Amish country, you're going to see buggies pulled by a horse riding up and down the road. But you know, there are, I'm not going to point those out because I'm too close to this. Because I am one of those whose grandparents were in church and parents were in church. So I'm right here with you. But just because I act like my grandparents, it doesn't make me a believer. Now this one's a little bit painful because I stand in groups way too often. But when I was a teenager sitting in the pews where you were, And some of the men in my church, and it was the same, they used four ushers every Sunday, and there were about six or eight who rotated in and out. But there were some of those men who I respected. They were good men, faithful church members. But honestly, I could have prayed their prayers. And as a young pastor, I began to realize that some of my youth in my church could have prayed my prayers. Praying a deacon's offertory prayer doesn't make me a Christian just because I've learned all those words in the right order. And so just because we are trying to keep alive some tradition of the past doesn't make us a Christian. You know, I sang in a youth choir in the 1970s. And I'm sure there were some adults in our church that sat there and kind of cringed at the music we were singing. I would tell you a few of those songs made it into the hymnals. I do know that for some of us, well, let me put it in my terminology. The music at the BCM is not designed for a 60-year-old campus minister on Tuesday nights. It is not my music. It's not supposed to be, by the way. But every generation has to give its expression to praising God. I do know that. But just because we're trying to repeat what some past generation has done doesn't make us a Christian. The third thing. Holiness is not just a generic spirituality. The research people will tell you that a good majority, like 60, 70, 80% of the people in this country, consider themselves spiritual. A lot of people will even go so far as to say that they're spiritual, but not religious. And what this usually means is, I want a personal relationship with God, but I want to define it my way, and I really don't want to include anything that requires a lot out of me, like being at church on a Sunday. I want to do this my way. But at the same time, a few years back, I started also hearing a a rumbling about students coming up who wants something deeper than today. They really are looking for an ancient faith, a faith that has its roots 
in something solid, in something that you can depend on. Years ago, back in, uh, and just after the 1960s era, I read something that said the mantra of the 60s was don't trust anybody over 30. But the person who was speaking said, but spiritually, you shouldn't trust anybody under 40. Why? And that's not saying that our young faith is not to be trusted. What it says is look for mentors who have some miles on their faith. Who can testify that to the fact that God is faithful. He can meet my needs. He's done it. And let me tell you how he's done it. Have we not seen a lot of people who, who profess faith in Jesus and they're all on fire for him for a very short period of time and then they fizzle out? We're looking for people who are faithful to God. Not people who are just generically spiritual that have no content to their faith, whose, whose beliefs begin to, to waver with whatever direction they're going this week. I'm looking for a faith that is deeper than that, one that is going to challenge who I am rather than me challenging and adapting beliefs to fit my whims. R.C. Sproul wrote that many people have spoken to me about being ethical, moral, spiritual, or even pious. But he says, nobody wants to talk to me about being righteous. Nobody wants to talk to me about being holy. Because we, left to our own devices, want to justify ourselves, to justify our behavior. But God wants us to be transformed into the image of his son. The fourth thing that holiness is not, it's not finding your true self. Anna Quinlan wrote the New York Times and Newsweek, uh, in, uh, or, or in this, she was quoted in an article when she was addressing a group of graduating uh, seniors and in this article, or in this speech, she said, each, each of you is, is as different as your fingertips. Why should you march to any lockstep? Our love of lockstep is our greatest curse, the source of all that bedevils us. It's the source of homophobia, xenophobia, racism, sexism, terrorism, Bigotry of every kind and hue because it tells us that there's one right way to do things, to look, to behave, to feel, when the only right way to feel your heart hammering is to feel your heart hammering inside you and to listen to what its timpani is saying. And in her speech, she gave a lot of credence to that internal timpani. The problem is, what if that inner drumbeat in me is wrong? She has a lot to say about people, just the herd instinct, walking in lockstep with everybody else. But in saying, 
you should reject it. Isn't she saying everybody should reject it? So there's herd instinct going out. The question is, in finding my true self, where am I looking to find my true self? She would reject the norms of the Bible because she would say they are too restrictive. But if you want to find out how something works that you don't know, isn't the place to go to the creator, the one who created that thing? When it comes to my life, shouldn't I go to the one who made me? If I'm out of step with God, then I cannot find who he created me to be. You know, as you watch movies, as you read books, as you watch a TV show, there's a lot of a lot of those stories stories will tell you that you need to believe in yourself. Do you understand that the world believes in holiness? It just defines it a little, a little differently. Don't don't let anybody tell you it doesn't. But the world's holiness is not found in being true to Jesus. They would say it's to be found in being true to yourself. And to be true to yourself means being true to somebody else's definition of what they would call tolerance or diversity or many of those different things. That's the highest good that's put out there today. But what if that highest good is out of sync with what God intends for our life. So being holy is not finding your true self. And holiness is not the way of the world. You'll never make progress in holiness if you wait for the world to throw a party for you for being a good person. Sometimes there are values in society um, that overlap with our biblical values. And, for instance, in helping people after a tornado in our county, the world will applaud us for what we do in going out to try to help people because it meets with a value in society that says you help people after a storm comes through. Um, in our country, explicit racism is not tolerated watch the news just about any night lately and see what it says. In Muslim countries, homosexuality is not tolerated. In the Bible Belt, church attendance is encouraged. We're not looked on, looked down on. But even that's eroding. People would question the value of what we're doing here this morning. The way of the world is not another way of just saying the people around us. The way of the world would be defined in Scripture as everything that opposes the will of God. 
As in 1 John 2.16, uh, John wrote the, uh, what he describes as the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. David Wells wrote in his book, God of the Wasteland, to put it this way, he said, Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look, str- look strange. And he would say worldliness is a serious problem. John goes on in, uh, in 1 John 2.15, he says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we need to understand worldliness. We need to understand and fear its creeping influence. Uh, you know, there is a sense today that if, if you go into a, a group of college students or teenagers, you want to talk to them about uh, dressing in a way, a worldly way, spending money in a worldly way, seeking worldly entertainment, you're going to be looked with glazed eyes and maybe they're even going to laugh at you. Our grandparents might have gotten uptight about that, but today, in this day of causes, there would be people who would tend to say, we've got a planet to save. We can't be bothered with trivialities like this. But James in chapter 4, verse 4 says uh, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And sometimes we really don't believe that anymore. Because we think we can be a friend to the world and a friend with God. We deceive ourselves to believe that we would be better Christians if the world, uh, if, uh, that if we would be better Christians, the world would appreciate us. But that isn't the case. We need to realize that holiness that God calls us to comes with a, uh, with a price. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 27, that if we pursue faith that cares for orphans and promotes purity, that we'll lose some friends that we're so desperately trying to make with the world. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us that becoming a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, requires me to resist the world that wants to press me into its mold. We are called to march to a different drummer for our lives. So, when I put this into terms that dealt with my college students, I said... So if you're saving yourself for marriage, staying sober on Thursday nights, after school maybe turning down a better paying job so that you could be involved in a church plant, uh, refusing to say the F word, putting down the phone, staying off social media, these are the kind of things that the world doesn't understand. They don't appreciate them. And we shouldn't even expect the world to. Because the world is not going to be your cheerleader on your path to holiness before God. So, as I kind of pull this together. 
So here are the things that holiness is not. It's not rule-keeping. It's not imitating the past generation. It's not a generic spirituality. It's not finding yourself. It's not the way of the world. Paul wrote at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. He says, but then, even after you've desired the greater gifts, I'll show you a better way, the more excellent way. And that was having a love for God. The way of holiness is one that you and I have been called to walk. We really have. We have been called, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, to enter through the narrow gate. That's tough. It requires some effort on our part. He never calls us to walk the easy path. If somebody told you that being a Christian was easy, they lied to you. It costs something. It costs us everything we are. But he also come, he also gives us a promise. Paul, going back to the passage I, I, I began with, called Timothy to join with him in suffering for the gospel. Not only in his own strength, but he says, by the power of God who saved us and called us to this holy life. We have been given eternal life in Jesus. It was a gift of grace. And now in response to my Savior, I'm called to live a life before him that tells people around me that I belong to Jesus. Now, this morning, because of time, I've only told you what holiness is not. My challenge to you This morning and going forward is to start, or let me say to a lot of you, to continue reading your Bible with eyes open to finding how God calls you to holiness and what he needs to do in your life to make you holy. Let's bow together. Thank you, Father, this morning for allowing us to be together, to, to, wor- to worship together, to spur each other on to a greater faithfulness to you. And as we come to this time of invitation, call us to a life of holiness before you. And may we give ourselves fully to you in response to the salvation that we have in Jesus. Amen. This morning, I want to invite you to respond to the gospel. You know, God is working in your hearts. Sometimes it has to do with the subject of the sermon.
Sometimes it has to do with something he's been working in you for a long time. But maybe this morning, maybe during this past week, you've had an aha moment with God. And there is a decision that you need to share with your brothers and brothers and sisters in Christ in your church. And this would be the time for you to respond to the Holy Spirit and to come forward and share. Maybe it is how he has led you to, to make a decision. Maybe it would be to come in a, in a recommitment of your life to the Lord. For somebody here, maybe God is, has shown you your need for salvation. And you need to come forward this morning and commit your life to Jesus for the first time. Sometime a decision that you are called to make is because in the subject of a sermon, God has gotten a hold of your heart and you need to respond to something that he's spoken to you about today. Is that you this morning? Is it something that you need to do? We want to offer you an opportunity to respond to the message today. What's God doing in your heart? What do you need to share with your brothers and sisters in Christ? What is God laying on you? We're going to sing a hymn of response. We want to ask you to, uh, to stand right now, and you respond as God's Holy Spirit leads you. Brother David.